Macro Podcast number 425 for September 16th, 2014, brought to you by lynda.com, the easy and affordable way to help you learn. Instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, photography, graphic design, job search, and more. MailRoot, the secure hosted email filtering service for the work you do, and Veridesk, the height-adjustable standing desk for a healthier working environment. Welcome to another Macworld podcast, and I'm still here. (laughs) As so, and so too, oh, by the way, I'm Chris Breen, and so too is... Serenity Caldwell. I'm only here for a little bit longer, but I'm here today. You're here today, yes. Hooray. Unlike many others. Um, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously the the gorilla in the room, and I don't even know how much this gorilla weighs, but I think it's a pretty big gorilla. It's is, at least 800 pounds, maybe a ton. Okay, let's just make it a one-ton gorilla. <laughs> okay. Um, is that last week at Macworld, there were huge changes. Um, lots and lots of people got laid off. Um, and I think I'm going to save all that talk for the end of the show because... Um, why not? I mean, <laughs> there's no reason to sort of do that and then go. Nah. Let's start this podcast on a downer, folks. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. let's just say that happened. We recognize it happened. And we are going to talk about it later in the show. So, um, you know, don't despair. Um, so let's talk something about um, other things going on than um, First, than yeah. That. <laughs> We've um, only been thinking about it all week. So uh, so instead, let's think about, you know, the fun stuff that, uh, that Apple is, uh, <laughs> that Apple's releasing, like the iPhone. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, I did you order one? I did order one. I uh, I completely forgot about pre-orders happening at midnight or three Eastern um, on Thursday night because it was a very busy, very <laughs> busy Thursday, very busy week for me. Um, right. And when I woke up Friday morning, it was like, oh right, pre-orders. Oh dear. <laughs> um, and I went immediately to the Apple Store app. And uh, was able to place a iPhone six, not six plus, uh, pre order, uh, and I placed one for uh, for the gold one actually because I saw the gold one in person, and the 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 gold is almost a more rose gold this mm. time around than okay. the the sort of shiny yellowish gold. Um, it looks more like the the rose gold that they were actually showing on the on the iWatch, and uh, it was. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to – I've had a, you know, a space gray black iPhone for my entire life and I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for the gold just just for fun. Uh, but I managed to place my pre-order in uh, about three minutes, which as I discovered really? reading Twitter was an anomaly. And I was glad that I did not wake up at three in the morning because apparently the people who woke up at three in the morning had some very serious problems trying to order their phone. Uh, did you order a new one, Chris? I did not order one. I'm still on a 5S, so I'm going to actually see hold each model in my hand to see which one I, I want. Mm. Um, I know that people are making like cardboard cutouts of the, <laughs> uh, of the Plus to say, well, how big is it really, and is it going to work with my life? Um, I'd rather just hold one. I'm fine with a 5S for now. I expect that I'm going to need a, a 6 for work. But um, I'm I'm okay waiting. I, I don't have to get it first thing out of the box. But you're right. I was I was up late on Thursday as well, and I'm on the West Coast, so I was hearing from people, you know, who were like, "Please, you know, I want to go to bed. Please, can I order this thing?" <laughs> and it seemed kind of like um, not the last couple of times, because the last couple of times ordering these things has been pretty smooth online. But I think about two, three years ago where you, they faced the same kind of thing where people couldn't get through. They get halfway through ordering the thing and everything would drop up. You know, it wouldn't work anymore. Mm. And then people would turn to the apps instead and say, well, I'll do it through the store app. And that always seemed to be the way to get it done. But this time... <laughs> I think the, the demand was so overwhelming that, you know, God bless them, Apple does its best to, to make sure the server's going to work because they want to make a good first impression. It they want to sell iPhones. <laughs> yeah, of course. And it didn't work out. And the reason being, I think, is they sold 4 million or they took pre-orders for 4 million of these things. And after all the press reports of saying, oh, ho, hum, another iPhone, who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's keep in mind that the last round of iPhones, they, were, they pre-ordered 2 million. So this is double. Yeah, or as I said, I think that's two years ago. They didn't actually even release uh, mm. numbers for the 5S. They just said uh, 
the after the first weekend. They're like, we sold nine million iPhones total. Oh, okay. But the the five was the last one that they gave us out pre-orders for, and that was again nine hundred thousand units. And the iPhone four before that was only I think two hundred thousand units. So this is a pretty big jump. This is a huge jump, particularly when you look at some of the skepticism that has surrounded the six plus now. I don't know that Apple has released numbers on that, but I have been hearing sort of internet tittle-tattle that the Plus has sold in big numbers, that they've sold out everyone you know they could originally offer, which surprised me a little bit because we talked last week about, well, I don't know, seems kind of big. Who is really going to want this thing? Well, apparently a lot of people do. Yeah, I think it, in part it might be the, oh, this is shiny and new aspect mm-hmm. of it. Uh, but also, the people who are ordering 6 Pluses are probably, by and large, going to be people who maybe didn't look at the phone before because they're like, well, this doesn't quite fit my needs. Yeah. So you're talking about maybe looking at a lot of switchers. You're also talking about a lot of people who are like, oh, I actually, you know what, I need a, I need a phone that's the size of a tablet. <laughs> yeah, I never thought I was going to be that person, and but I don't know. Now I'm kind of open to <laughs> persuasion that when I go to the Apple store, when they actually have the things in stock... I'll give it a go. I'll take, pick one up, see if it does seem like something reasonable for me. Again, because I'm a hermit and never leave my house, I don't really use my, I don't have to shove my phone in my pocket very often. So maybe a larger device is going to be okay. I don't know at this point. But um, if the display is really, really good, I may start using that instead of my original iPad mini, whose mm. display I'm not all that thrilled about. Yeah, well, the non-retina is a really big thing, right? Yeah. It's like if you if you only have so much money, do you want to spend it on an iPhone, um, like a small iPhone, or do you want to spend it on a big iPhone that also replaces you having to buy an iPad? Yeah, yeah. So if you've been clamoring for one of these things and didn't get in on the pre-order, and apparently the pre-order date went from the 19th to sometime in October pretty quickly. Very quickly, yes. Um, indicating that they, well, I don't know if, the, if pre-order 4 million, if, if you made 2 million and thought, well, that ought to be enough, whoops, maybe it wasn't quite enough. So they're cranking them out in China as we speak. Um, but if you want one, you're probably looking at October to actually get one. They are going to have them at the stores this Friday. Mm-hmm, as always. So if you like lining up, I would suggest line up early. Cause... Yeah, I would say at least two hours before. I've done. I've actually done the straight lineup a couple of years because I've never been able to. Uh, I've never been able to order one shipped because my my billing address is not where I currently live. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I've been doing the day of standing thing for a while. And two hours seems to generally be a good time. And honestly, the line wait is not too bad. There's like a lot of fun people and just bring books and hot beverages. Yeah, I've made a lot of friends standing in line. I haven't done it for a while, but um, people are, are really excited. It's a very positive kind of thing. Sometimes, depending on the store you go to, Apple will come out and bring you little treats. Mm-hmm. Treats not promised, but no. uh, in the past, they brought out coffee for those of us who were standing around in the dark because it was so early. Um, and then as you get closer to the door, they kind of let you know what's happening. They say, by the way, we are out of the 128 gigabyte model or we're out of this model. So if you're there for a specific carrier model, you may get halfway there and then realize, no, nah, that's not really the one I want. Although many people will stand in line for anything and just say, okay, fine, I'll take the gold one or I'll take <laughs> the white one. I don't care. Just give me, give me, give me. Um, yeah, so exciting for people on Friday. Um, I think we're going to be taking reports from people standing in line on Friday. I so we'll have so. that stuff on uh, on Macworld. But you won't be in line because now you've you've done your pre-order. No, I won't. Uh, I do have to go home and go over there and pick it up, though. That'll be fun. So I still get to see the line if I'm not going to stand in it. Oh, okay. Well, yes, they'll have two lines then. They'll be there for the picker-uppers and then the one for the please let me have one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I think, again, for those people who said, well, Apple, mm, doomed. Because who cares <laughs> so about this? Doomed. So doomed. Who cares about this thing? Well, surprise, at least 4 million people care in the first 24 hours. And yeah, I think- let alone... How many other iPhones they're going to sell? Yeah, and I, I guess I'm a little surprised. I, not that I think that Apple is doomed, but 
it really does seem like, oh yeah, okay, another iPhone, I could wait. As I am, I feel like I can wait a couple of weeks before I, I make any sort of commitment. But I'm still surprised that as long as the iPhone has still been out there, it generates this kind of enthusiasm. It does. You know, I think the, the magic of the iPhone really is that uh, they manage to sell it in such a way that it becomes new and exciting and must have. You know, even for the people who are on 5Ss, be like, oh, well, Apple Pay, of course, is a big, you know, like, yeah. oh, NFC, this is this is connected. Um, and people who maybe are upgrading who doesn't who don't have Touch ID, the jump to Touch ID is pretty huge. Uh, people who've been waiting on bigger, bigger screens. There's just they've managed to pull out a lot of things. And the thing is wicked fast. I mean, having yeah. had a chance to play with it um, in person at the hands on demo area it's really, really impressive. Um, not just, you know, individual app speeds, but uh, calling up Siri, too. Like, it's this is a, a test that I, I challenge you to do when you're in the Apple store, is see how fast that Siri can respond to your uh, your commands. Because, man, that thing flies. Flies. I, I hate that because my 5S flies. And now I'll try <laughs> and I'll find out that it's even flyier. And then I'll think, oh, now I have a bad phone. I thought I I had a good one, and now I don't. Nope. (laughs) Now now it's been rendered obsolete, I'm afraid. (sighs) All right. Okay. Uh, Well, one thing you mentioned was Apple Pay, and I want to talk about that. But before we do, let's hear a word from lynda.com. lynda.com is an easy and affordable way to help you learn. Instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, photography, graphic design, and more. Now, it happens that I'm a lynda.com author as well as an account holder, and so I've seen the company from inside and out. The quality of their content is really outstanding. The quality of their content is really outstanding. lynda.com works directly with industry experts and software companies to provide timely training, often the same day new versions or releases hit the market, so you're always up to speed. All courses are produced at the highest quality, and they're not going to look like your homemade videos on YouTube. Courses are broken into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace and learn from start to finish. Or you can dive in for just a quick answer. And you needn't sit in front of your computer to take advantage of lynda.com's courses. Learn while you're on the go with the lynda.com apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android. And you can do it all for one low monthly price of just $25. And this gives you unlimited access to over 100,000 video tutorials. Premium members with an annual plan can download courses to their iPhone, iPads, or Androids, and you can watch them offline. Premium plan members can also download project files and practice along with the instructor. Now, what about you listening in? Our listeners will benefit specifically from iOS app development essential training, iPhoto 11 essential training, up and running with Apple Remote Desktop, and my own iPad for Business and iPad Tips and Tricks courses. And I know several people who would benefit from Jolie Miller's job hunting online and designing a resume with Steve Harris. As you can see, Linda covers all kinds of helpful skills. Also, because I'm a musician and a wannabe photographer, I've spent a fair amount of time with Linda's Logic, GarageBand, and Audition courses, as well as Ben Long's photography courses, which are outstanding. If you need training for business or your personal life, Linda.com is the place to go. I happen to have worked out a deal to provide you with a special offer to access all the courses free for seven days. Visit lynda.com slash macworld to try lynda.com for seven days. That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash macworld. So Apple Pay, you mentioned that as one of the features that uh, is compatible with iPhone 6, and that may be Mm -hmm. one reason that people look at it. We talked about Apple Pay a little bit last week, just sort of saying what it was. But already, there's people are starting to line up. About like, yes, I'll do Apple Pay. And no, I won't do Apple Pay. <laughs> and um, Apple was really, really smart about this. We've had NFC in phones for quite some time. But nobody's really taken advantage of it because phone manufacturers put the circuitry in there and say, here, go forth and NFC all you like. Except they didn't make any arrangements with really, you know, the credit card companies and major outlets and retailers and and all the places they should have gone to make sure that people could use it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Apple did that. So smart. They've also uh, apparently made deals with the banks so that uh, if you use Apple Pay, there will be a smaller transaction fee. 
I don't know what that means for Apple or what it means for the retailers or it means for us as customers, but that's just a thing. Yeah, somehow, um, well, the smaller transaction fee primarily, I think, relates to how much retailers get charged every time this is used, which is an incentive for retailers mm-hmm. to encourage Apple Pay implementation over, say, a regular credit card processing. Because, say, a credit card processor takes, let's say, 2.5%, and Apple's saying, oh, well, with Apple Pay, we're uh, our charge is only 2% for using Apple Pay. Right. Then all of a sudden that becomes a lot more appealing to retailers. Of course, that doesn't mean, you know, the banks might, the banks that Apple's working with might still be charged, you know, 1.8 of that 2%, but we don't know yet. Right. And it's unlikely the retailers are going to say, oh, well, since you're using your phone, here's a discount. You know, I don't think they're going to pass yeah. the savings along to their customers. But you're right. It certainly encourages adoption so mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, mom and pop think, hmm, maybe we should get one of those terminals in here so that people can start doing this. Well, Square did that uh, yeah. to great success when they were first starting out as they offered lower processing fees. And it's one of the major reasons why it became so widely widely used uh, among small businesses because, you know, they had been paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a credit card processor and now all they needed was a little dongle on their phone and didn't even charge as much as a credit card processor. So it was a win-win. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but who's not on board? Well, Walmart. (laughs) Walmart is not interested. And um, they're working actually with Best Buy on a system of their own. And so Best Buy apparently is not going to buy into this. So apparently the deal with Walmart is they've got something they're trying to develop in-house. They want to be that company that does that stuff. And it looks a little kludgy to me. Um, What's the idea? It like generates a QR code or something that you scan from an app or something like that? So so there are startups that do things like this. And Level Up is one of those startups. And I actually really like Level Up. Uh, especially because being able to pay with your phone is kind of awesome. But it is a little kludgy. It is a little clunky. Level Up for a long time only let you scan your phone onto a BlackBerry. So that was even worse, where it's just like, oh, God, the the terrible technology. Uh, But the problem, again, it's with creating proprietary technology. The thing that Apple did so well with Apple Pay, or at least like from my, in my opinion, what they did so well was that they're building off of a standard that's already been established. NFC is built into tons of phones. And what they're doing is not only saying, hey, we're going to support this universal standard, um, but we're going to make it a lot more accessible for all you people who are like, my phone has NFC, uh, but you never got to use it anywhere because none of the retailers had installed it. Guess what? Now there are going to be a whole bunch of retailers installing and and uh, NFC into their uh, into their terminals. So uh, all of a sudden, all of your phones work better too. Whereas Walmart's kind of like, yeah, we just we want to take a piece of the pie and we don't care about our customers. Yeah, well, or their employees. So um, it just seems a, a day late and a dollar short that they'll yes. they'll try to do this. And I mean, it, it's like if everybody else in the world had gone to credit cards and suddenly they want you to pay in seashells or something mm-hmm. it's like well yeah you know we're, we're all doing this other thing so how about you hop on board because in the long run if it doesn't catch on like really quickly and apple pay does then there people are not going to be shopping at walmart as much they're going to lose customers oh the horror <laughs> yeah right but i mean there are competitors that people can go to target instead and there mm-hmm. people can go to costco instead there are other places if you want that big box experience that maybe will support the technology that you prefer to use. And um, maybe they'll just have to say, oops, swallow it, and then actually do what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, Wednesday. 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 I, I, yes, we're recording this on Monday. I think I'll release this on Tuesday. So let's say tomorrow. All right. Tomorrow, iOS 8 is coming out. It is. Yes. <laughs> and We've, I am not sleeping for the next 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because we have a lot of stories to prepare. We do. F- for that very thing. Um, rather than go into every single feature ever made for this thing, let's talk a little bit about, you know, because you and I have been deep, deep, deep into iOS 8. We've been through mm. the betas. We've looked at all the features. We've been writing about this stuff for the last couple of months. Let's take a little step back and say, what features do we really care about in the sense that these are something I'm going to use and I'm going to find helpful? Well, for me, um, I think you need, having... I think you need a caffeine. <laughs> yeah, I'm yawning. Um, it's it's 4.30. My, uh, my... Oh, oh, it's sleepy time. 
It is, yeah, it's like, oh, it's so close. Um, no, um, iOS 8, I've actually, I've been using for a while in the betas, and I've really, really enjoyed it, and I thought it's just been fantastic. Um, the, uh, the big thing for me, I actually really like QuickType. I'm like, mm-hmm. I think I, I talked about this way back at the beginning when Apple first announced it, but it's neat. It's really cool. The idea of predictive type uh, and predictive text and learning what you do. It's still a little bit Furby-like in its implementation, which is, I don't know why I'm comparing it to, to a toy from the 1990s, <laughs> but um, if you don't know what a Furby is, it was a thing that like, quote unquote, learned how you, uh, how it started speaking a completely random language and then it slowly learned words, quote unquote, um, as you got to know it. Uh, I think QuickType's a little more intelligent than that, but there still are like, I I love taking screenshots um, and sending it to other people who are on the beta of uh, of the three words that it prompts you with. Um, like it knows that I use emoji a lot to uh, to respond to people, and so occasionally two out of my three predictive words will be an emoji. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like, whoops, well, this is interesting. But they're not the emojis that I usually use to yeah. respond to somebody. They're just random emojis. So it's like it's slowly learning. Um, which I think is awesome. It's not perfect, uh, but it definitely has sped up my my conversation. And I've found myself like starting to type in like type in four letters and hope that the word that I want pops up. Uh, sometimes I use it a lot, and then sometimes I completely forget that it's there. Uh, and I think that'll be you know a little bit balanced, uh, a little a little bit more balanced as uh, more apps kind of take advantage of it, uh, and we get to. Uh, we get to the official release, and in addition, like the thing that I really want to test that hasn't been released at all yet is the other than like in beta beta form by third-party developers or third-party keyboards. Yeah, which I just think are awesome in so many levels. Yeah, absolutely, and and I was gonna get right in there and agree with you because why not? Um, <laughs> I do like QuickType. One reason I think I was attracted to it is you see it almost immediately. It's it's almost the first feature that you encounter. Mm-hmm. If you open anything that has a keyboard on there and suddenly you're typing along and you're like, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. And particularly, I don't mind typing sort of in a computer-y kind of way on my iPad because I have plenty of room on the keyboard to do that. But on my once I get on my iPhone or an iPod Touch, it gets a little cramped. I tend to make a lot more mistakes. And the ability to have it learn what I normally type and throw up um, suggestions that work is great. I just think um, people are going to be so interested in this. Yes, I know it was a feature in another device before, but I don't care. <laughs> um, because it just works. Oh, well. It's nice. It's going to make input much easier for these devices. And that's always been a bugaboo for everybody using an mm-hmm. iPhone, particularly an iPhone, is that typing is sort of like, eh, it's okay. And the predictive typing is pretty darn good. But this adds that extra layer of frosting on top of it where, wow, I can type even faster now once I get accustomed to this uh, new way of putting stuff in. Um, camera app. Camera app. Camera app. I I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm That's, very happy with the changes that they've made. Yeah, because when Phil Schiller was out last week talking about the new phone, he was talking about you know replacing your point and shoot. And yeah, half the battle is is having just a better camera inside the device, but the other is the is the camera app itself and the kind of flexibility it offers. And with the new camera app. There are more things that you can do with it. Um, the The ability to have a little timer on it is great, um, so that you don't, you know, have to do everything as a selfie, but you can actually set up shots and then, you know, push it, and ten seconds later it takes a shot. Uh, time lapse, I think, it's just so cool. I love time lapse photography, and I wish I did more of it. and And this is going to encourage me to do more of it. So that's awesome as well. Um, and then, you know, I mean, the general stuff, iCloud Drive. Great. Start expanding more stuff so that we can put things other than just Apple apps docs out there in the cloud and retrieve them. Please. Please. We've been waiting for that one for a long time as well. And the health stuff doesn't intrigue me yet. I think if and when I get an Apple Watch, it will make a much bigger difference to me because that's always seemed to be the, the missing component of it. Yeah. You need a you need the biometric scanner or sensors to kind of hook everything into place, I think. Although for people who do have a lot of, we posted a story earlier today on this, um, in terms of people who have a lot of medical records or who are often at the uh, 
at the hospital, um, HealthKit might enable hospitals to kind of share information in a much better way and um, in a in a way that doesn't necessarily involve fax machines, which would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. Because that's fax the o- machines, yeah. It's the only place in the world where fax machines still exist is in doctor's offices and dentist's offices because, yeah. oh, no, I'm sorry, you have to fax that to me. Oh, God. Um, let's see. How do I do that? Uh, yeah, yeah. okay, sure. I'll go down to Kinko's and do that. <laughs> um, there's more stuff I want to talk about this, but uh, first, before we do, let's hear about MailRoot, which is the secure hosted email filtering service for the work you do. And now yet another word for all you IT professionals out there. I'm not a system administrator or someone tasked with configuring the company servers. I'm just a user. And as a user, I have to admit that when I receive a message from you guys telling me that I shouldn't click on a link embedded in one piece of phishing email or another, I have to think, why am I getting this stuff in the first place? Shouldn't you be doing something to filter it out? And then it occurs to me that maybe you're not using the right filtering service. Might I suggest you give MailRoot a try? MailRoot handles email for ACM, which is the Association of Computing Machinery. That's a pretty big deal because ACM is the largest organization dedicated to computer sciences in the world, and MailRoot is being trusted to deliver their mail. So who are these guys? Well, they started in 1997 as an email filtering company called FrontBridge. Microsoft bought that and named it Forefront. So they get asked a lot, why didn't you just take the Microsoft money and go on a permanent vacation? MailRoot's founder believed he could still improve on the technology he'd built and help everyone from single users to large corporations. So how does MailRoot actually help with email management? We all know that spam viruses and bounced mail are a hassle to deal with. Well, MailRoot doesn't think that you should waste your time and resources by accepting a bunch of garbage in your mail service. So here's the deal. With MailRoot, there's no hardware, there's no software to install or maintain. MailRoot simply receives your mail, sorts it, and delivers only clean email to your mail server. Its interface lets you view and manage your mail, tweak your filter settings, and control everything per domain and per user. MailRoot built their interface and tools with admins and developers in mind. They even have an API for easy account management. So to remove spam from your life for good, Go to http colon slash slash mailroot.net slash macworld for a free trial and 10% off for the lifetime of your account. Again, that's mailroot.net slash macworld. Um, so the biggest thing I'm interested in for iOS 8 is actually a feature that you can't really play with uh, now. In fact, you won't really be able to play with until... Uh, until next month, and that's uh, that's when or when hopefully iOS 10 Yosemite is released, and that feature is continuity, uh, which is Apple's fancy pants branding for its handoff service, which allows you to send, say, emails from your iOS device to your Mac and vice versa, and answer phone calls on your Mac, etc. Uh, I am so excited about continuity, and I wrote many things about it earlier this year. Um, and I really, really want to get a chance to play with it. So I'm eagerly awaiting Yosemite's release so that when iOS 8 drops and Yosemite drops and the two can talk to each other, and it'll be great and the future will be here, everything <laughs> except jetpacks. Uh, but I am really excited about that. Um, and as a small but like pertinent feature, the do not disturb feature in messages, mm-hmm. I'm really, really excited about for group texts, uh, because being on a roller derby league, you occasionally have lots of group messages with uh, with nine or ten other people. And um, to give you an example, last Saturday we had a game, which we won, which is pretty exciting. But the, uh, the morning of that game, I woke up to 35 text messages from friends um, and teammates because they were just we were just talking about the game and all of a sudden my phone was a never-ending scroll of messages notifications and I was just no <laughs> so do not disturb would be nice yeah uh, and I also I really like uh, it's a small feature but I like tapping the details button while you're in an individual message to be able to see all the attachments you've ever sent to somebody um, it's really useful, especially if uh, if you have GIF conversations, as I do with uh, with your with your message uh, friends, and you're like, "Oh man, I have the perfect GIF for this conversation," and I know I used it with another friend like two weeks ago. 
Normally, you'd have to scroll manually, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly through the conversation. Or you just pop into the details menu and you're like, oh, that attachment. There you go. Saved. Yeah. Sent to the other person. Great. Right. Uh, as far as continuity, the one thing I'm looking forward to there is that I keep my phone upstairs and my office is downstairs. Mm. And um, I know a lot of old people. And old people don't use iMessage. They use SMS. And so I am getting these SMS messages upstairs on my phone, but I'm not getting them on my iPad in front of me because it doesn't support SMS. But with iOS 8, they'll have this lovely handoff feature where if I get an SMS message upstairs, when this thing is set up, it'll say, oh, do you want me to hand this off to your iPad? Yeah, please. Could you do that for me? Absolutely. So basically it turns it into an iMessage. Uh, where I can respond to it, and then it goes back out into the world as the way it should be. I, much as I'd love to, I would prefer to convince everybody I know who still uses SMS and just say, would you please get an iPhone so, or some <laughs> device that would send me an iMessage so I don't have to come back six hours later and go, oh, look at all the people that texted me that I didn't know about. Um, optionally, of course, I could put the phone in my office, but I just, I don't. Just, I don't. Because I charge Reasonable. it upstairs. The electricity is better upstairs. And that's why I put it up there. It's more pure. It's a pure form of electricity. Because it's coming into the kitchen where it has to be clean versus the dirty electricity down here in my office. Of course. Which is powering way too much junk. <laughs> um, Tim. No, okay. We're done with that. Uh, <laughs> that's That was my transition. Tim is Tim Cook, who we will now know as Tim. He was this on TV. Tim. Tim. This is Tim. He was on the um, he was on the TV. Charlie Rose show. Charlie yeah. Rose show, and he talked about some stuff, and I thought maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea to highlight some of the things he had to say. Yeah, um, I think I've been actually watching this mostly today because I don't have a television, uh, or I have I have a television but I don't have cable. I did not catch it when it was live. Um, the uh, the biggest sort of interest points for me is you know like you can with tim i've been listening to him on enough financial calls now that and i've seen him enough keynotes that you can see when tim is following script mm -hmm. and he's just regurgitating information that it's po quite possible that he wrote you know it's not necessarily it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel acted but there's a difference between tim being like oh the new iphone is the best iphone we've ever made and it's a leapfrog in technology and we're so happy about it um, and when he's being, you know, when he's being on the level and he's talking straight from the heart. Um, and there's a lot in this interview of Tim kind of taking off the, like, for, for every moment where Tim is sort of playing the PR game, he also has a couple of, a couple of times where he is legitimately acknowledging that, uh, you know, yes, this certain product or yes, you know, I, uh, I have opinions about certain things and, Yes, uh, Samsung may have made it to market first, but we don't care about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he. I just pulled up a few quotes from various stories that were going around. Um, the first one was about his uh, view of the Beats deal. And I think a lot of mm -hmm. people were thinking, what's this Beats music deal all about anyway? And clearly he was the guy that would have to say yes or no to it. And he had two takes on it. One is that um, he thought that Dr. Dre and uh, Jimmy Iovine were incredibly talented people and very creative people. And Apple takes notice of people like that and thinks, wow, we should get people like that in here. Actually, why don't we just get those people? Um, and he, he liked the work they were doing. He appreciated that the Beats brand had the kind of buzz it did and was doing so well. And that seemed to be a good fit with, between Beats and, and Apple. And the other thing was that he said, yeah, but I, don't, I didn't kind of get the whole streaming service thing. I don't know how really enthusiastic Tim is about music, maybe not so much as Steve Jobs was. Um, and so I think he said, yeah, I was kind of puzzled about this streaming thing. But he took the time to sit down and compare Beats to other streaming services. And um, basically he described it as saying the light came on after he listened to Beats. So he listened to Beats for a while and then he listened to other people's stuff. 
And then he kept going back to beats and he realized that what really made it work for him was the curation. Mm-hmm. Was that, wow, this music makes sense together. I can see the humanity behind the way this playlist was constructed versus going to another place and just having random stuff thrown at you. And, and that's not to say that there isn't some curation on other sites, but it's really beats main attraction is that you have real humans who really know their content um, putting together playlists. And I think that was enough for him. I think that's when the the switch turned for like a lot of people who've taken on this service and gone, oh yeah, this is really good. We should have this. <laughs> it's not just random music. Yeah. Um, I really found that sort of section interesting because I do think that what makes Tim Cook such a valuable CEO to Apple is that you know he's not he's not the the creative you know crazy passionate person that Steve Jobs was and he says that in the interview he's like i'm not steve and you know steve picked me because i was not steve yeah you know he knew exactly who he was picking and i i made no qualms to you know i i made no attempts to to hide that uh, but what tim cook does very very well is he surrounds himself with excellent people and he gets the t- takes the time to learn about projects um, where, you know, we've heard, of course, Jobs was famous for being like, this is this is crap. Yeah. yeah. Or a stronger expletive that we probably can't say on this podcast. <laughs> right. This is, this is not acceptable. And then, you know, someone would bring it up again and Steve is like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Um, and he, you know, Jobs made a lot of snap judgments um, after taking certain times to like you know, get it all together. Whereas Tim Cook, I think, takes a long time to sort of put the, put the ducks in the row and weigh the pros and cons and – and paint a fully realized picture before he decides that the picture is worth buying or worth taking. And um, he taps into the intelligence of a lot of different people while he does that. Yeah. And that's that's really impressive to me. I think uh, it's a really smart move. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's really, uh, really what makes him a valuable CEO for Apple. Well, he's clearly got a lot of really smart people around him in that a lot of these people were there when, when Steve was there. And they were able to change his mind, that Steve mm-hmm. would say, no, not going to do this. This is crap. Absolutely no. And Phil and Eddie Q and others would would argue with him. You know, they didn't just roll over and say, okay, Steve, whatever no. you say. But they'd say, no, really, you know, the iPod, that should be on Windows. Nah, Steve said, no, we're going to keep mm-hmm. it back on. He'd go, no, it should be on Windows. And because it, we'll sell a trillion of them, so get over it, Steve. And he said, yeah, all right, fine. You know, grumble, so he could grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> but you know, in hindsight, it's like, well, of course, that was, a, of course, you should do that. And so I suspect they're the same way with Tim. And and I'm sure somebody went to him about Beats and said, this is really something we ought to look at. Give it a try. Here, I've set you up with accounts for six different things plus Beats. Spend a weekend listening to them. Tell us what you think because we think this really, really works. And um, and good on him for taking the time to do the research, being very studious and coming back and saying, yeah, you're right. This really is good. So let's go after it. Mm-hmm. Um, he was asked about who's, uh, who's the biggest Apple competitor. And many people would have said, oh, Samsung, the evil Samsung. <laughs> um, but it's not Samsung. No, it's, it's not. It's what powers Samsung. <laughs> right. And, and so... Apple, I guess, is being consistent in that they've considered their enemy to be Google forever, and they still are, but now they say they're the competitor instead of, I don't know what Steve said about them, but probably not. Thermonuclear enemy. That's right. That we're the ultimate evil of the entire universe. But now it's, yeah, it's still Google, because Google is indeed creating Android, and that powers a bunch of the Samsung stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Apple really felt like Google took a lot of their ideas and played the copycat game, and I think they still sting over it. Um, but they focused kind of their um, wrath on on Google, such as it is, because, you know, what can they do about it, really? All they can do is sort of fight these proxy wars with Samsung. And even now, we're hearing a lot less about Samsung and Apple going into court back and forth. I think everybody's weary of the, the whole thing. Mm. And then finally, um, no, no, two, two other things. One is that Apple continues to have a great interest in television. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. And so Gene Munster may eventually be, no, he'll never be. No. Right. Sorry, Apple's <laughs> never going to release a 27-inch TV set. Yes, but interesting that when Tim Cook said they have an interest in this 
or we're keeping an eye on this. That means that generally that means they're doing something. Uh huh. But that something may very well be the Apple TV as we know it, except in the next generation. So I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be the big old real TV, but rather a box that does a lot of really interesting stuff. So I'm, mm. I was glad to hear that that was on the radar. And last thing, um, and I think this was his subtle way of saying this is totally my company now but said Apple did not start work on the Apple Watch until after Steve had passed. Which is very interesting to me. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the thought and pro, like the idea of an Apple Watch was floated around campus, but it makes sense as uh, as a Tim Cook decision, right? For mm-hmm. the next the next step in the viability of a, of the computer. And um, they're they're going to sell oh, I assume a lot of these. Just even at the pricey point because it looks fashionable and it looks lovely. And the fact that, you know, it's we've seen in, in Tim Cook's sort of past hires, like he's very he's very um, very passionate about hiring people who are who are both smart and have a good eye for aesthetic design. Mm-hmm. Um and you uh, you look at hires like Angela Arendt's who, you know, how, what she did with the Apple stores and everything like that. And with all of a sudden, if Apple's getting into fashion, her uh, her hiring makes even more sense because the Apple stores are going to have to have a try-on area for the watch, right? Yep. It's, so there's there's a lot there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I see this very much as sort of Tim's project and Tim's baby, which explains why he was so overjoyed to show it off. I think so, because uh, well, as we mentioned last week, it was just he's been living in the shadow of Steve Jobs, and people have been saying Apple doesn't innovate, and where's your new product categories, blah, 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 blah. And really, it kind of came out on schedule. It's been a few years since they did the iPad, and now it's time for the next thing. And maybe the next thing after that is some kind of TV-related thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think it's time now that he's, he's crossed the river. He, this is his company now. And fully realized that that now sort of the legacy of Steve Jobs is honored as it is, is now a thing of the past. Um, yes. The DNA still exists there, but I think the whiteboard has been cleared from the days when, when Steve was there. And now it's it's Tim's board where um, he's he's charting the course of the company, along with the people he works with, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, Steve, is, Steve is gone. Awesome work. But uh, now we're really going forward with... With Tim's um, vision. Long live the era of Tim. <laughs> Yay, Tim. Yay, Tim. Um, so let's do one more spot. Um, but before we get there, let's talk about Veradesk, which is the height adjustable standing desk for a healthier working environment. According to places like the Mayo Clinic, sitting all day is bad for your health. But standing all day can be just as bad. So what do you do? Well, you find yourself a desk that can be adjusted for sitting or for standing. And the Veradesk is exactly that. It's a height adjustable standing desk that sits on top of your existing furniture and allows you to raise from a seated position to a standing one in just three seconds. It ships fully assembled and it's ready to use right out of the box. There are four models to choose from for single and for dual monitor setups, starting at just $275. It's time to stand up and start working in a healthier way. And you can do that by visiting veridesk.com for more information. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. And do us a favor. Let them know who sent you by putting our podcast name in the Where Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, that's Veridesk, V-A-R-I-Desk.com. Com for more information. Okay, and as promised, we're going to finish up with uh, the inside baseball news, which is what <laughs> the happened. The elephant in the room. The <laughs> elephant in the room, the gorilla in the kitchen. <sighs> yeah, so last Wednesday, uh, the day after the Apple event, um, basically we all called in, and uh, some of us called into one room, and I called into that room, and other people called into another room or were in that room. And, and I got coffee. <laughs> and you got coffee. Because I was already leaving. <laughs> you were already leaving, and, and so you were fine. And um, basically, most everybody from the Macworld masthead was laid off. 
Um, they currently the Mac head, Mac head, the Mac world staff is, uh, me, um, Susie Oaks, Leah Yamshan, and then, um, Caitlin is going to be doing uh, new stuff for us. She's kind of split between a couple of different properties. So we have a much smaller staff than we once had. Um, some of the reaction to the layoffs, people said, well, how dare they do this the day after everybody worked their tails off at the Apple event. And, and I understand how you could see that, take that um, perspective. The thing is, though, that restructurings like this, and it wasn't just Macworld. It happened to our friends at PC World, TechHive, and, and um, GreenBot, also other IDG properties across the U.S. This was a major reorganization. Um, the thing is that when you're going to do something like that, it takes months of planning. I know I don't know exactly what plans they had, but I suspect that the wheels were already well in motion long before Apple announced the date of this event. Um, so it's just, it was unfortunate. I guess the good part of it is that uh, Ren, you got to come out. Um, Dan Morin came out. Jason was there um, and got to attend the Apple event and really kind of go out with a bang because the coverage on what Apple did was just spectacular. Yeah, I mean... You, these kind of things are really hard, and I, you know, I kind of, I kind of figured that something like this was coming down the pipeline because of other changes that had happened in the past couple months, and that's partially why I, why I ended up deciding to leave when I did. It just happened to be creepily well timed. Um, they could have done this any day. You know, the, the thing about the thing about upper management is that upper management doesn't know necessarily what when the big apple event is or what uh what's being covered at any one day upper management's just look, they're looking at the bottom line and they're saying well we're losing x amount of money and let's fix it or let's try and fix it let's uh let's plug the holes in the boat so that the boat doesn't sink uh unfortunately that means losing a lot of really really amazing people um which i you know even being able to like cover my last event with Macworld and since I, I went into it knowing it was going to be my last event at Macworld and it also happened to be my first non-WWDC media event at an Apple, like at Apple, which was, or I guess at technically at the Flint Center, but being, being Apple's media guest, that was really cool for me. And I'm like, all right, well, even if I never get this chance again, when I go to work for iMore, I'm, I'm still like, I'm going to savor this. And it, it was a lot of fun, even with technical difficulties. And and uh, and Dan Morin and Jason Snell and Phil Michaels did an excellent job doing the text cast, as always. And I just, like, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I hope they did, too. It was, it was not knowing what was going to happen the next day. It was, it's, it's sad to me that, like, it's sad to me that, that all of these people are now are now not with Macworld. But... I think for for everyone, it was probably a probably a good move in the long run, even if even if in the short run it hurts a lot. And I think all of these, you know, all of these people will land on their feet. I know Dan Warren's been itching to write a novel for years now, so now he has like a little bit of time and it's and it's not like the company was just like, All right, kicking you out. Yeah. Goodbye forever. You know, we're not we're not like they're you know, the the employees are being taken care of. It's not it's not horrible. Um, it's just sad. It's really sad. But I think that you guys are going to do a great job. Um, I love, like, come on, Chris. I love you. I think you're a great, you're a great writer and you're a great podcaster. And like, you will, you will carry the, the site to new and exciting, new exciting heights. And uh, Susie and Leah, if you haven't read their stuff over on TechHive or occasionally when they post on on Macworlds in the past, they are both great. They are they are really good friends outside of work but also they know their stuff 100 percent. and i'm like if if the site had to be left in the hands of four people like you are the four people that i would i would be happy to see take it on well thanks and we're also going to have a, a stable of well-known solid freelancers doing work for us as well so it's true it, you know it's not I'd like to say, yes, it's going to be great and it's going to be, a, but I'm, I'm sad too. You know, as I said on a blog of my own, it's, it's sort of like all your friends around you being raptured and you're the guy standing there kind of yeah. halfway through a ham sandwich going, um, where'd everybody go? Where? Oh, <laughs> but, 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 what? but wait a minute, <laughs> wait for me. So it's shocking, but you know, if you've, 
if you've read, if you care about newspapers or magazines, you've seen what's happened to the publishing business. It's your newspapers have died or they've gotten really thin. And it's just simply a matter that advertising money isn't there that once was there before. The, there's lots of news on the web. Um, our print publication is going away and people just aren't buying magazines anymore. So it's really about money. It's all about money. It's not that we weren't doing great work because we were. It's not because we didn't love each other because we did. Um, the fact is that Macworld was operating at a loss for a couple of years. And it happens to be that the people up at the top of IDG really love Macworld. They have a real soft spot for it. But it just came to the point where they said, we can't keep doing this. We've got to restructure this so that it can go forward in some sense rather than just butchering it and just saying, okay, done. Because there's a 30-year legacy of this. And it isn't just, you know, this generation that's gone through it. But, wow, when it started out, you had people like Stephen Levy and David Pogue and Lon Poole. Deborah Branscombe, uh, Jerry Burrell, just these amazing people in publishing. This The talent pool that goes back to Macworld is incredible. And a lot of these people moved on to gigs at New York Times and the Washington Post and Time Magazine and major news outlets. So as an incubator for talent, Macworld and PC World were really something special. Um, and I just, I couldn't be prouder of the work that we've done and uh, the work that was done by my colleagues. And I agree. I think they're all going to be back on their feet in very short order because they are incredibly talented, really smart people, and they're really nice people too. They are. So um, if you're in position to hire people, keep them in mind because um, you'd be lucky to have them. Yes. And and Chris, I do believe you wrote a very nice thing about all of the people who are uh, – are leaving or have left or, or potentially on the market. So I would I would encourage people to read that because I think that was very sweet. Not just because you said nice things about me. Well, I had to say nice things about everybody. It's, um, you know, it's not the kind of thing that Macworld can do because it's, you know, they have their message that they have to deliver. But I felt that somebody really should pay tribute to um, the talent of the people that we had on staff. And so if you want to read it, it's on chrisbreen.com. Uh, it's called um, Letter of Recommendation. John Gruber and uh, Sean King and Jim Dalrymple um, over at the the Loop Insight were nice enough to link to it. So it's gotten some nice traffic. And um, and if you haven't read it, I th- think you should, particularly if you're in the position of hiring these people, because I think it lays out who they are and what they do and and why they'd be such a terrific asset to your company. And I think with that... Um, before I burst into tears, <laughs> I think we'll just say that's it for this episode of the podcast. Ren's going to be back next week. So um, I guess I'll burst into tears next week when I have to say goodbye. <laughs> the grand hurrah. We'll, we'll have a little farewell party on the podcast. And hopefully we can talk about how wonderful at least my new iPhone is. Oh, and yeah. Chris can, be, <laughs> Chris can be jealous. That's right. You can tell me all about your new iPhone. And uh-huh. Maybe I'll get to see a picture of one. Maybe. Okay. If you're lucky. So um, until next week, Ren. Until next week, Chris. And that wraps up another episode of the Macworld Podcast, brought to you by lynda.com, the easy and affordable way to help you learn instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web design, photography, graphic design, and more. MailRoot, the secure hosted email filtering service for the work you do, and Veridesk, the height-adjustable standing desk for a healthier working environment. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. And thanks for listening.